Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Hey, good morning. If you're a guest here, my name is Ray. For those of you who are here and forgotten my name, it's still Ray. And so thank you for being with us today. It's so nice to see everyone here and uh, just to worship the Lord together. Boy, every song was just spoke to my heart, spoke to this message. Uh, I've got a lot to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to talk quick, so you've got to listen fast. And uh, I want to get through this today. Uh, Lord, say some stuff on my heart. We're not going to be in the Psalms, just got to tell you up front. If you enjoyed the Psalms, it ended last week. And uh, I'm going to talk from my heart and what God has said to me through a, a variety of means. And uh, I, I want us to walk out of here changed by the power of the Holy Spirit saying, God, I want to reflect you in our community. I want to, if you will be, I want to be countercultural, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks. So I want to read a passage. You don't need to stand up, but it's that passage in Colossians chapter one. It's all about Jesus. And it says this, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage that reminds us about who Jesus is. All authority belongs to the Lord. So we give you praise. Be with us today in Christ's name. Amen. Real briefly, I want to say thank you to all the pastors who spoke, our our, our own pastoral team, and then Ryan Gilbreth and Lance Powers, and then, boy, last week, uh, Christian Dawson. Uh, Boy, what a friend we have in Jesus, and he was over the top powerful. And so God has moved in this summer, and we're grateful that you've all been a part of it. Uh, uh, This summer, I felt drawn to read about uh, church history. Uh, I love history, but uh, I haven't really read a lot about Christian history, and it it was a powerful time in my life. Two things about Christian history. Number one, you need to know that we actually have one. Uh, Church has been around for 2,000 years. Did you know that? And it, it actually fits into the world history. We have a history and, and we need to know what it is. In fact, we may do a class the first of next year on, on Christian history. Two, it shows how people lived out the gospel for the last 2,000 years. And some were real successful, some weren't. But as we learn about the past, it reminds us about how we can live today and how we can look toward the future. Now, as I start this whole thing, I gotta be honest with you and tell you that church history is filled with a lot of humanity that blew it. Is that okay to say? Just to tell you right up front, I'm not talking about the big stuff like the Crusades or the Inquisitions or all that. I'm talking about little stuff. And, and we want to we be honest with history and we want to find the lessons in it that can really begin to touch our hearts and change us from the inside out. And uh, it, we'll talk about some of the successes, some of the failures, and uh, realize that everyone in church history was human, just like you and me. Everyone was human, just like us. I started reading while we were in Hawaii. I spent time with my family and time with the Lord. The first few weeks I spent with Mary and the family, and uh, it was a great time, and, and we enjoyed it. But as I was reading church history, I was getting a little frustrated, and finally Mary said to me, who's not here today, she's home struggling with shingles. Hi, Mary. 
And um, uh, she said, you need to stop reading church history for a little bit. And I said, why? It's, it's, she said, it's because it's making you grumpy. And, you know, be, to be honest, I don't need any help with that. I, I, I can be grumpy all on my own, all by myself. So I, I want to talk to you. And as I looked at first history, I could take the first three years and I could sum it up in one word, persecution. For the first 300 years, the church was persecuted, beat up for their faith. I could list out, I almost did it. I started making a list, but it would have been too long and it would have taken too much time. I, I listed out all the, you know, Nero, Trajan, Vespian, and uh, on and on it goes. Of all the, the Roman uh, people, uh, emperors who persecuted the church, and because of that, they saw themselves as pilgrims, spiritual pilgrims. Hebrews 11 called them strangers in exiles. First Peter called them sojourners, John 17, Jesus said, they're not of this world. And the reason that they clung to that, that they were pilgrims and exiles in the first 300 years was because they were getting the heck beat out of them. They were getting the heck beat out of them for their faith. They believed so strongly in Jesus Christ that everybody was putting them down. I mean, except for brief periods in 300 years, five years here, three years there, every Roman emperor persecuted them for their faith in Jesus Christ because they weren't following the Roman gods. And so under Nero, Domitian, Trajan, as I already said, Hadrian, Antonius, and others, they endured varying degrees of persecution. The Bible said this in Hebrews chapter 11, which is written about 60, 70 AD. Some faced fear, jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them because they were not of this world. They were in another world. Their, their home, their citizenship was in heaven. And it was this faith in Jesus Christ. It was their faith in knowing that there was a better place. It was their faith in knowing that God would not leave them, but would bring them to a better place that sustained them in the Colosseum, in, in, the, Colos, in, the, in the Circus Maximus, in uh, Caesarea Philippi and all these other places, they were sustained by their faith that they could walk toward the lions, they could walk toward death because of one thing, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it sustained them and they endured because they believed. You want to know the crazy thing that happened in the first 300 years of church history after Jesus and the apostles died? How many think the church got smaller? How many think the church grew by leaps and bounds? Isn't that crazy? It grew like, 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 like nobody's business because of their faith. It grew under persecution. Why? Why when people are dying for their faith would it grow? Well, it was simple. People were impressed. I don't know how else to say it. They were impressed. They were impressed by, by the witness and the martyrdom of these people as they walked toward their death. They were impressed by people who could believe in Jesus Christ so strongly they were willing to die. They were impressed by that. That made an impression both on believers and unbelievers. Then Christians, uh, they were drawn to the sense of community. Believers lived with one another. They cared for one another. They built one another up. They, they cared for one another. And the world saw it and they were touched by it because it was the antithesis of what, of what Roman values were. It was an amazing time, the support and the solidarity. Then believe it or not, at, at that time, Christianity was counterculture. It was counterculture. Christian message of love and compassion and mercy and caring for others stood in contrast to the Romans and, and their, their, their lack of, of caring for people, their, how life just didn't mean all that much, and the appeal of a more compassionate community. Catch this, because it's important. The appeal of a, of a compassionate community, it drew people to Christianity. 
Then there was the good old transformation of lives when people saw Christ followers. They lived differently. They loved differently. They cared for people differently. And it was this transformation that drew people to Jesus Christ. Then there was the intellectual and philosophical engagements. Christians would not run from culture. They wouldn't ignore it, but they would interact with it. But they would bring Jesus by reasoned answers, by by intellectual assent, they would say, you know, here's what Jesus would say. And the world being hungry for answers because the world cannot provide answers of, it all, of their own. People were hungry for it. And people were moved and they were drawn to Jesus by the engagement of these, these men and women. Then there was the personal relationships. You know, if you're around a Christ follower long enough and if they're loving Jesus, eventually you're gonna love Jesus too. You're just gonna love him. And then there was that last thing of God's providence. God saw that his people in the midst of persecution, in the midst of all the things that were happening, he blessed them with more people because they were living a life that was drawing people by being light and salt. You wanna know where a lot of this stopped? It's, it's crazy, but the genuine transformations, it stopped in 312 AD when Emperor Constantine had, I'm not sure if it was a vision or what, but he came away with an understanding that he should tolerate Christianity. So the emperor of the Roman Empire in 312 AD has this vision, if you will. In 313 AD, he and, and uh, Licinius, uh, East, Eastern Emperor, Western Emperor, they came together and they signed the Edict of Milan, which legalized Christianity. You know what that meant? No more persecution. No more persecution. They can live their faith out in the open and they won't get beat up for it. And it was a big deal, the Edict of Milan. And then in... Uh, 380 AD, the Emperor Theodosius signed the Edict of Thessalonica that not only legalized it, but get this, made Christianity the, the, church, the state religion of Rome. Uh, I'll come back to that. Okay. Time for questions right after service. Now it's the state religion. In fact, the Edict of Thessalonica says this. It said that... Uh, yeah, almost had to be a Christian because it was going to be the state thing. And if you followed anybody else, you were going to get in trouble. I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, now Christians aren't down here getting beat up for their faith in Jesus. But now they're up here. Woo, woo. They're up here. And it's heady stuff. I mean, it's a big deal. They're not down here. Now they are the state religion and everyone's kind of got to, you know, as I was reading that for the first time, I thought, boy, you know what? My, my gut says, be careful what you wish for. Because a lot of people can't handle being up here. How many know that in China, there are places in the world, because they're down and they're oppressed, they're loving Jesus all the much more. But now they're up here, and it brings its, its own set of problems. Now it's the state religion, and now the emperor's pouring money into the church. I mean, they're building cathedrals and stuff like that. And, and what it lent itself to were doctrinal problems. They, didn't, they had to figure out which, what we were going to believe. Then it led to organizational issues. How are we going to organize? There's so many people that have to be Christian now. How are we going to deal with that? And then there were heresies that were threatening, Arianism, Pelagianism, Donatism. I mean, all these different heresies had to be dealt with because it would, they, all of these things were diminishing who Jesus was. And so that had to be dealt with. Then they had to define orthodoxy. What would be the rule of faith? How are we all going to do this stuff together? Out of orthodoxy comes orthopraxis. How are we going to live out our faith? And, and the, the, the church exploded, and you have all of these administrative problems, the liturgy, the worship. What are we going to do to fill up the hour or more? How are we going to do this stuff? How to be the church in different socials and cultural settings? 
These were all administrative, but there were deeper problems, some that I call problems of the heart. Problems of the heart. The church became attractive for those who were seeking power. Came attractive for those who were seeking influence and status to be a Christian, to get high up in, in a church office. It was a big deal. I mean, to be a, a minister, a pastor, whatever, it was a big deal. But what that led to was a, a lack of, of depth in their spiritual commitment. People got more interested in, in, in pretending than actually living. People pretended to come and there was a widespread lack of spiritual commitment. The church became entangled in, spirit, in political affairs. Sometimes the Pope, beginning with Constantine, wanted to oversee the church. The church and state got, I'm not just talking close, I mean, they got intertwined and it was a mess. It was a mess. Now, I, I'm not, I, I wanna make a statement here. I'm not, uh, I think Christians ought to be involved in politics. Just take Jesus with you. Because what a lot of people do is Christians that get involved in politics is they leave Jesus behind. Well, that's baloney. You can't do that. Last service, uh, the mayor, Dean Johnson, uh, from Puyallup attends our church. Between you and I, he's the one guy. I, I have met with Dean. I love his heart. Now, I'm not telling you to vote for him. You vote for whoever you want. It's not my job to tell you who to vote for. It should never be my job to tell you who to vote for. My call is to tell you, whoever you vote for, let it be Jesus that guides you. Let it be the Holy Spirit. Everyone okay with that? Well, I want some conflict entrepreneur to get me all fired up mad about something. Well, I can recommend some churches for you, but it ain't this one. It's just not this one. But I love Dean Johnson's heart because he, he, he takes Jesus into his thing, into his, his arena. Well, I don't care who you are. Do whatever you want. Be, make, make billions of dollars. Just take Jesus with you. Take Jesus into your family. I mean, I'm on a tangent here, but you know what I mean. Just take Jesus with you. And so there was this intertwining, and you didn't know who was leading the church, the, the emperor or the leader of the church. And we, frankly, we already got one. His name is Jesus. And, and so the church became entangled. Then there was this superficial piety. People would come to church. They would live life on Sunday or, or whenever. They would go out and live like the devil the rest of the time. How many know that? We, don't, we would never do that. But there are others <laughs> who would do that. And so it was, a, it was a problem. And there was this cultural syncretism, which Roman culture and, and church culture bound together and it, it was a real mess but bottom line it was that there were people who just lost sight of who Jesus was that's how I sum it up they all that history I just read uh it, it was a big deal and so now it's time for me to go to St. George Utah I get home from Hawaii I most of you know I take a week and I go by myself and I, I walk by let me well let me show you my cathedral that's uh that's that's part of St. George that's the canyon snow canyon and uh, I walk it every morning. I get up at 5, 5.30, so I can get out there before it turns 180 degrees. And so, uh, but that's where I go. And so this time it was, it was interesting. I wasn't really down. I, I was grappling. I was frustrated with, with, the, with, the, with the church. I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, it gets a little frustrating knowing that we've made the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. I mean, on the good side, you know, when I came after this whole COVID mess and the political garbage that we deal with, I thought, man, the Christian, we have made new ways to, to I almost said screw up, but that sounds bad, to make mistakes. We have found new ways to, to not portray Jesus to the world. We, turns out I was wrong. For 2,000 years, we've been blowing it. Time and time again, we've portrayed something that didn't reflect well on Jesus. And I thought, well, that makes me feel better. At least we didn't create something new. I mean, we didn't start a new thing. We're, we're involved in an old thing of, of, of allowing the world to overrun us. And so, uh, the, you know, 
it, it didn't make me feel any better, but I understood how desperate we were for move of God. And so as I was walking uh, very early in the morning up the canyon, uh, there was this one particular morning, I felt like I was part Elijah from 1 Kings 18 and part Job. And I'm walking up there and I just sense the Lord wants me to just get a handle on what he wants to say to me. And it's, you know, when uh, Elijah had to stand out on the side of the cliff and God shows his power and demonstrates the big stuff and then he speaks in that still small voice, God wanted to do that to me. So I'm there, I'm walking in the canyon and, and then I feel like Job and I hear the word of the Lord say like he said to Job, who are you to question me? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm Pastor Ray. <laughs> yeah, that and $20 will get you a coffee at Starbucks. I mean, that, that didn't mean that. Who are you to question me? And then I, I thought of that. Were you there when I put the stars in place? Were you, were, were you the, hey, let me tell you something, Ray. I'm, I'm going to accomplish my purpose no matter what. You, you, others, everybody screws up. I'm going to build my church. Key word there being I, Jesus. He said, I'm going to build my church. And it was a refreshing time of re- recognizing that in the midst of your failures, my failures, 2,000 years of uh, uh, failures, God is still at work. And that ought to touch our souls, that God will accomplish his will, that God will move forward, that he is sovereign, that he is providential, that even when I can't see it, especially when I don't understand it, especially when I get discouraged by all the stuff I see around me, God's still faithful. And he's still God, and he's bigger than my disappointment. He's bigger than my frustration. He's bigger than whatever mess you and I can cause out there. God will build his church. And that ought to inspire us. That ought to move us to want to go where God wants us to go. He took me back to all those things that I had read previously, and he said, let me tell you what happened in some of those instances. Because I wasn't reading right. He took me back to... uh, 325, the Council of Nicaea, which had to be called, by the way, by the emperor because all the Christian guys couldn't get along. Emperor Constantine calls the Council of Nicaea about 100 miles outside of uh, Istanbul, where we're going in next uh, uh, April. And uh, all I saw was the confusion, the frustration, the arguments, and the heresies. And then as I started reading about it, these men... It was a patriarch society, so yeah, it was just men, and, they, uh, and there are some great women in church history, just want you to know. But out of, out of that chaos, there came this assurance that Jesus is who Jesus said he was. It was this assurance that Jesus is not a created being. He is co-eternal. He coexists. He is of the same substance as the Father and the Spirit, in other words, people were thinking that Jesus was just some guy who was born and he, he was the created being who then became something. No, 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 no. Athanasius and others made it clear that Jesus Christ, same substance, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're all the same. And, and what that means to us is now we have clarity as to who Jesus is, that when Jesus speaks, he's not speaking simply as a human being. He's speaking as who he is, God. And God is speaking that he is not created in clarity about the person of Jesus Christ. Then the Council of Chalcedon, I mean, that made the other one look good. I mean, it was a circus. I mean, they were fighting over everything. At the end of it, they excommunicated one another, and that's all I'm seeing. But then the Lord reminded me that out of that, there was this thing called hypostasis that took place where they worked and they worked and they came together and they realized that Jesus Christ was fully divine and fully human, fully God and fully man. And there was no mistake. There was, no, uh, fr- there was nothing that, that could uh, hinder that. 
And by that I mean this, that the clarity that said Jesus Christ could be human and he could understand my sorrow. He, could, he, he faced temptation. He understood me at the same time. He was God who could forgive me. He could die on the cross for my salvation. Out of that came a clarity of who Jesus Christ was. And man, I think we're desperate for that clarity once again to the person, to the work, to the words, and to the ministry of who Jesus Christ is. That's who Jesus is. He died and he rose again and he ascended and he was fully God and fully man. And out of that came clarity. Then in the fourth through 12th centuries, a lot of the problems didn't cease. A lot of the problems were still there. And, and it's what's called the golden age of monasticism where people, men primarily at this time, they said they, they couldn't do it anymore. And so they went into the deserts, into the hills, into the forest, and they got away because all they wanted to do was seek the Lord. Men like St. Gregory, St. Benedict, St. Patrick, and others got away from all the stuff. They didn't want to be involved in all that garbage and all the corruption. They just wanted to find a place where they could take and they could pray, where they could take and read God's word, where they could live with one another and they could serve one another and they could walk in community. They wanted to get back to the basics and they wanted to run away from those things that were afflicting all the, the leadership of the church. They valued the simple things. Many of the disciplines we, we handle today, the disciplines of prayer, the disciplines of scripture, the discipline of humility and, all, and serving and all these things come straight out of the rule of, of St. Benedict, the rule of Benedict. A thousand years ago, we, we enjoy an understanding of the disciplines because of what Benedict did over a thousand years ago. Our worship today is influenced by St. Gregory, Gregorian chanting, which a lot of the music today it has to do with uh, phrases that are repeated over and over. It comes back out of the liturgy of St. Gregory. The impact of people turning to the disciplines and wanting the simpler life and all of these things go right back to the monastic orders of the day. It's a big deal. What these guys were saying is we don't, we don't want the church politics. We don't want all that. We just want to follow Jesus. Then, then let's jump a thousand years. Uh, uh, oh, I want to show you that. Hey, put that picture up of the monastery that we took a picture of. That's uh, St. That's, that's George's Monastery, not in Utah, but outside of Jerusalem. They went to places like that. I mean, you're not going to run down and get a Diet Coke from anywhere around there. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, and that's where they focused in on Jesus. Some say that the monastic, monasticism saved Christianity. Now let's jump ahead about a thousand years to the early 1500s, Martin Luther. How many are familiar with the name Martin Luther? Would you lift your hand? Okay, interesting. That's, that's kind of cool that more of you don't know. Martin Luther was a guy who fanned the flame of the Reformation. I mean, he was the guy who started it all. He was so upset with the corruption of the church that he took his 95 theses and nailed them to the door of the Wittenberg Church, and it caused a stir, and then there was this big council, and, and they, they were... They were looking for him. They were going to take his head off. And they said, we want you to get back in line and be part of the church and do it what we say. And he said, I need 24 hours to think about it. And he came back and he said, you know, this I cannot do unless scripture dictates. If the word of God does not say it, I cannot do it. Now, between you and I, Martin Luther had his problems. Martin Luther, by his own writings, struggled with depression. Martin Luther struggled with guilt and shame. He had an anger problem. All of these things. In addition to, he was incredibly anti-Semitic. He drew cartoons. It was something. But out of this human, frail, at times sinful man, 
three phrases came out that started, and the reason why you're here today, sola fide, sola scriptura, sola gratia. Faith alone. Faith alone. That we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. Sola scriptura. That the word of God is our rule of faith. That we may have to work hard at interpreting it and hard to understand it sometimes, but it will be our understanding of how we are called to live the Christian life. And then sola gratia, grace alone. That grace comes from understanding that it's by grace we are saved. It's by grace we have our, our, our being. It's by grace we come to Christ. Grace means the unmerited, the undeserved favor and love of God to humanity like you and I. This is what was given to us, and it flamed the fires of the Reformation. Men like uh, Luther and, and Zwingli and Calvin and, and Hus and, 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 and a thousand others who said, we're going to break away and we're going to choose to live our lives by faith in Christ, looking at the word of God, and we're going to walk by grace no matter where it leads. And many of these people lost their lives. They lost their lives for their faith once again through it all. Here's what I got to get to eventually. God was at work. God was at work. He was fulfilling his purposes. And what should be our response? Now, I, I struggle sometimes with a little bit of uh, uh, first, uh, not, not. I can get negative sometimes. I get it straight from my dad who was the same way. And I can look at church history and I can look at today and, and man, it would be so easy for me to get down about the whole thing. But here's what uh, someone I've been reading, Mark Knoll said this. He said, our response, it could be to despair at the persistent human Ill, Ill, inability to act toward others and toward God as God has acted toward humanity. It would be better, however, to consider the hidden reality that the long record of Christian weakness and failure reveals for what it shows is a divine patience broader than any human impatience, a divine forgiveness more powerful than any human offense, and a, a divine grace deeper than our human sin. It makes sense to everybody? In other words, if we're gonna come together and we're gonna worship the Lord and we're gonna praise him, and instead of worrying, our response should be this. Our response should be to thank God for his divine patience that he doesn't quit or give up on us. Everyone awake? It should be, we should be grateful that God doesn't give up on us. We should be grateful that his forgiveness is greater. I know some of you think you've sinned so much that God can't forgive you. There is no sin on this planet that his grace cannot cover, that his love will not overwhelm, and that he cannot forgive. There needs to be something inside of us as Christ followers today that stand back with a sense of gratitude and not negativity and say, God, I may not understand. I may be small. I may not understand, but I trust you implicitly that your purposes are going to build, uh, bring fulfillment. And I want to stand amazed in your presence. I want to stand amazed. He said these words. I'll say this first. For 2,000 years, the Lord has been building his church Building his church. That passage in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. When I came back two years ago after COVID and all that stuff, the conflict entrepreneurs, pastors who got their 15 minutes of fame by telling, uh, building on your fears and your angers and making you more angry. I don't mean here. I'm talking about the church at large. Uh, all that. I was so overwhelmed. When I came back, I remember the last things I said and with tears in my eyes, I said, well, I, I hope, I believe the, the, that Jesus is gonna build his church. What a wimp. I say that about me and I say it like, you know, I hate to, but it was. Put that verse up there for me, please. 
And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never, I'm paraphrasing, ever, ever, ever prevail against it. God is more than able. You know what the biggest word in that sentence is? It's the smallest one. It's I. I will build my church. What that means is sometimes God allows you and me to participate with him in the building of his church. Other times he has to work around us and sometimes he has to work in spite of us. But make no mistake, my friend, Jesus Christ is going to build his church and the gates of hell. The gates of hell that will attack culture out there, that will attack culture in here, will not prevail. Let me show you a picture. This is Lahaina. Our hearts go out to the people on Maui, and we're coming up with some creative ways to have a part in, in helping there. A lot of people were displaced. A lot of people are still looking for their families. It's a horrible situation. Lahaina, which many of us have visited, been blessed to visit it. Beautiful little town. Been devastated. The loss of life is overwhelming. Most buildings are gone. There's that little church. It's still standing. Let the fires come. Let the flames of fear and anger and all the stuff that happens in an election year come. Bring it on. Because he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. I want to tell you something. That, that, put that back up there for me, will you? That is a symbol of hope to the people of Maui. It's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol that says the church is still standing. And, and I, I appreciate that and I value it. I think that they need that and it's right and good, but I want you to hear with your heart and with your mind the nuance of what I'm about to say. Don't walk out of saying, Pastor, he said that church, church should have burned down. That's just ignorance. But that church could have burned to the ground and the church would have still stood because the church isn't a building. The church isn't a denomination. The church is an organizational structure. The church is where two or three are gathered in his name. I could take 10 people out in the middle of that field, let this place burn down completely, and the church would still stand if they wanted to follow Jesus. Because that's who the church is. Not administrative leadership and all those things. It's just people who want to follow Jesus in humility and love and serve and, and do the things and let Jesus be who Jesus is. That's the church. Now I've mentioned in the next, you know, it started with the debates. We're in it. We're in it. It's going to be a rough year. I can already tell you. It's going to be a rough year. Let me rephrase that. It's going to be a rough year. <laughs> it's going to be a rough year. There's going to be more hopelessness out there than you'll know what to do with. There's going to be anger galore. There's going to be people so frustrated with, with that group and that group. It's a perfect opportunity for those who are called according to his purpose. 
to walk into any situation. Pastor Ray, when I walk in those situations, I just get angry with them. Then don't go. If you're not going to take Jesus in with you to that situation and bring peace and hope and love and compassion, yeah, but it makes me so mad. Get over yourself. His purposes are bigger than your anger. His purposes are bigger than my fear. He's going to build his church, and I don't want him to work around me. I don't want him to work in spite of me. I want to say, Lord, please use me. Put me in the game. Lord, put me in the game. Let me go. But we got to take Jesus with us. To do all that, we got to become countercultural. The Bible said, by the way, can I go off on a tangent for a minute? If you're in a group of people, and this will happen this year, I guarantee it, they'll say this, well, Jesus doesn't apply to this situation. Christians are going to say that. Jesus just doesn't apply here. Really? Just to make sure I understand, the one who sits in authority over heaven and earth, the one who spoke and brought worlds into existence, the one who died on the cross, rose again. He has no say in this. Yeah, and by the way, those words of Jesus, they're, they're, they're so liberal. Don't you dare paint the words of Jesus as liberal or conservative. You have no right to do that. They are the words of the king. Right? They are the words of the king. And the words of the king always apply. Always apply. So I got more I could say on that, but let's, let's stop there for a minute. And the ushers are going to come. We're going to, we're going to, I blew it last, but thank you. Uh, they're going to come. We're going to sit. We're going to worship for a minute. And then we're going to come up and close and take communion. Hey, while I, when I sit down, I want you to think about this. There's some words we got to take back. If we're going to, if we're going to win hopelessness, if we're going to replace hopelessness with hope, if we're going to replace compassion with hatred, uh, compla- replace hatred with compassion, then I want you to think on this thought. We need to reclaim some words that have been usurped by people around us, okay? Let's just come, let's worship. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, You can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.